Hi everyone, this is the Supported Sobriety Podcast. I'm Matt, and I'm in recovery from an addiction to pornography. And I'm Katie, and I've been married to Matt and supporting him in his addiction for four years. We created this podcast to bring hope, healing, and greater understanding to both men struggling with pornography addiction and women who support someone struggling with an addiction. I upload episodes for men with pornography addictions. And I upload episodes for the women who are supporting their loved one. We share real stories from members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but anyone is welcome to listen, and we believe everyone can benefit from finding peace through Jesus Christ. We hope that this podcast can bring you closer to Jesus Christ and help you on your journey of recovery and healing. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this episode of Supported Sobriety. Hey, hey, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Supported Sobriety. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I'm excited to get to this episode. we got a great one in store today. I interview my friend Jackson. Um, I met Jackson a few years ago, actually, at a 12-step meeting, and he asked me to step in sort of as a sponsor for him. I was pretty early in my recovery at that point, so I really did feel like we were sponsoring each other, and um, we've both come quite a ways since then, but I'm excited to share his story. One of the key parts about his story and one of the things that we talked about is that sobriety and um, true recovery really come on days where we are struggling, where things are hard and where we have to overcome hard things. And to me, it reminds me a lot of the necessity in our lives of getting out of our comfort zones to overcome hard things. But one of the things that I feel like I didn't emphasize enough in the episode that I want to emphasize now is that those hard days do not last forever. And recovery is an extremely hard thing. We go through just this total change of character, a change of um, habits, change of how we deal with stress and pressure and emotions generally. And that is super hard. And while those difficult moments will come, it's important to remember that they do not last forever. I remember pretty far into my recovery when Katie found out the second time that I had been lying, and for those of you that haven't listened to my first episodes, um, I invite you to go back and listen to those to hear a little bit about my story. But early in my recovery, I had just, Katie had just found out the second time that I was struggling, that I had been lying. I was going to see a therapist um, for the first time, going back to the 12-step meetings, really struggling um, to work through kind of steps six and seven and, and, and onward. And I was dealing with... Um, just a lot of hard things. Specifically for me, it was confronting my uh, struggles with being honest. And I just remember so often I would just go to bed feeling like that was the hardest day of my life, or this is so hard. How can I do this? How can I do this every day? How can I be honest with Katie? How can I confront my addiction? How can I overcome these things, deal with my emotions, confront so much of my struggles? And it was just hard thing after hard thing after hard thing. But looking back on that now, I'm so thankful that I had to go through that because it was exactly what I needed to become the person that I am today. And it was exactly what I needed to get myself out of recovery. And it was so hard. But I do feel like recovery can be um, a little bit like a hill where you have to get over those really hard moments before you can catch some momentum and go down the hill. And so, yeah, the biggest thing I just want to say is that those hard days do not last forever. But if you can make it through them and, and... succeed in overcoming your addiction on those days, things will get better and things will hopefully get easier. Maybe not forever. Things will always be up and down, but things will not always be hard and dark and just dreary and hopeless. Things will get better. So if any of you are in that place where you are just feeling like it is hopeless and 
you can't imagine where to go from here, I can just testify from my own experience that things will get better. You will get out of this. And if you stay the course and keep the faith, you will overcome your addiction. So with that, I will let you get to this episode. Um, Again, Jackson is one of my good friends, and I'm just so excited to share his story, share some of his experiences, and discuss addiction recovery. So please enjoy this episode. How are you doing today, Jackson? I'm doing awesome. Thanks for having me on the show, Matt. Yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me to share, and I I, I I really like your story and I like, um, I've liked getting to know you. So I've been excited to get you on the podcast. Great. Yeah. That's good to hear. I'm excited to share and, and be vulnerable today. So <laughs> yeah, that would be it. so helpful. Um, why don't you, why don't we start by having you tell us just a little bit about yourself, about, I don't know, your family, what's going on for you in life right now? Yeah, totally. So um, I am currently a full-time student at UVU in my last semester, so really looking forward to graduation. Uh, my wife's also going to graduate this semester. So um, we have been married for about two and a half years and have a daughter that is 16 months old, and we've got another one on the way that's due May 4th. And so we're excited to have uh, two little girls close to each other. It's going to be really fun and and challenging, but uh, definitely rewarding. So looking forward to that. Wow, that's and... so fun. Anyone who um, has listened to the show knows that I've got two boys about the same, I guess, distance apart. So yours are like, you said like 18 or 19 months apart or will be? Yeah, they'll be about 18, I think 19 months apart. So they'll be, they'll be close. Wow, that's going to be, it's going to be nuts. but so fun. So what else? Tell me more about you, you and your family. Yeah, so I guess kind of the last thing to sum it up, um, like I said, we're graduating and, and going to have this baby here in May. And then come June or July, uh, we're a little flexible, but we're going to move down to Arizona to uh, start to have me start working full time down there. And so that's going to be fun. It's going to be a new adventure. Uh, I'm, I'm originally from Arizona, so it'll be okay. nice to get back to my roots and, and kind of plant some of our own roots down there, too. Yeah, that will be really fun. Um, I'm excited for you guys to do that. Yeah, my wife and I, we talk so often about let's move because we're in Utah right now. Like, let's move out of Utah. You know, we were, we were thinking the other day about moving to Florida and stuff like that. Just we just would love to get out and kind of experience some new things, you know. Totally. Yeah, it's awesome. So that's fun. It's fun that you and your wife are both graduating kind of at the same time. You know, you've still got a few sets of midterms and some finals ahead of you, but I bet it feels really nice to kind of pretty much be done with that. Oh yeah, it feels great. <laughs> well, that's cool, man. And and hats off to you guys for doing all that with the baby and then also with your wife being pregnant again. I know that's no easy task. Yeah, I mean, she's the real trooper. She's the one that's doing school with pregnancy and going to have the baby close to uh, probably right around finals. So it's going to be... It's going to be a challenge, mostly, mostly for her, but we're a team. So it'll definitely be a challenge for me too. <laughs> yeah, man. I remember that um, when we had our first, first baby, I was in the middle of like spring semester um, at BYU. And I just remember like, I would go into midterms and just be like, am I going to like, am I going to get a call during this? Like after this, like, what if like, I have to turn my phone off. What if my wife calls and she has the baby while we're in the middle of the midterm? Like it always like stressed me out so much. Yeah. 
Well, I wasn't worried about that until you said that. So yeah. thanks for putting that on my radar, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's an, it's a crazy time. So good for you guys. And, um, I, uh, I look forward to hearing about uh, how that goes and how, how you guys, <laughs> yeah. uh, how everything turns out, but, uh, let's, let's dive in now just a little bit into your addiction. Um, why don't you tell us just a little bit about your addiction kind of where it started and, uh, like how it progressed from there. Yeah. So, um, I guess, I guess it really started, um, around like 14, I got an iPod touch and, um, I know that this, I've, heard that this is a, a kind of a common thread, like just getting a device and not having very many restrictions on it. And initially my parents were really great. They locked down the iPod and, and uh, you know, which prevented me from, from getting any mature content on there, which was great. Uh, but then I had uh, my dad or mom put in a, a passcode and that allowed me to download an app. And then they never put that that restriction back on, um, which was like definitely intentional on my part. I was like, man, I hate these restrictions. I just want them off. Um, and then, you know, over time, just having unrestricted access to the internet, you know, as a 14 year old boy, it just inevitably led to um, getting pornograph pornographic content on there. And so um, that, pretty quickly led to like a daily exposure to pornography and um, a pretty, a pretty well-defined addiction, meaning that like, I felt like I was really quickly hooked to pornography and like, like I said, was using it every single day. And so um, probably around 14, by, by the end of being 14, like I was really, really heavily addicted and, and using pornography every single day um and then kept it pretty concealed from anybody until um i think i was i think i was 16 years old i had become a priest ordained a priest and was asked by my little sister who had just turned eight to baptize her and that was like a total eye-opening experience you know i felt totally unworthy to participate in uh, a saving ordinance like that. And so I was talking to my dad and just said, you know, I don't think I can do it. And I had broken my ankle like the week before that. And I said, I don't think I can do it just because I've got a broken ankle and was making up these excuses and thought I was going to get away scotch-free. But um, then my dad just asked me point blank, you know, are you worthy to, to do this? And I sat there paused and for the first time in my life was honest about this addiction that I had and told him that, that I was not worthy and needed to talk to my Bishop. And so um, that's kind of the, the footsteps that I guess the foundation that my addiction was, was placed upon. Um, and, you know, with over the next couple of years leading up to my mission from 16 until um, 18, just like battled it daily and worked with my Bishop and worked through the 12 step program by myself and, um, just really worked with my, I guess the, the main people that I worked with were my dad and my Bishop. Um, and outside of that, didn't have a whole lot of support 
And I think in, in response to not having that much support, fought and continued to fail at recovering for those two years until like right before my mission, I got, you know, a few months of sobriety under my belt and felt really good about going on my mission. So that was kind of what led up to everything. And, and, and then on my mission, I did really great at not, uh, I, I didn't view pornography at all on my mission, which I was really happy about. And, you know, with just like having a, a companion with me all the time, was made it really easy to not look at pornography and so um but then coming home you know just being bombarded with with social media and and all these things like really quickly fell back into my addiction like probably three two or three weeks after being home was back viewing pornography and less frequent than you know in high school but but definitely was kind of back at it again why don't you tell us more about that? Yeah, so I, I think that it started off really just um, like having exposure to social media and um, seeing things that weren't like in the world's standard pornographic, meaning like it wasn't, you know, full-blown pornographic, but was definitely suggestive or just like not uplifting media. Um, and that led directly into viewing um, like pornographic websites and stuff like that. So that was, that was fairly like, I want to say it took about two weeks to, I want to say it took three weeks to be completely back into pornography. And it was, you know, probably week two where I started to find myself just falling slowly back, you know, those flax and cords that led me straight back into this addiction. And, um, and, and I think another important thing to point out is that I removed myself. So from going on a mission by, by going on a mission, I, I kind of removed myself from the situation, allowing me to view pornography, which was really an, an, an interesting idea that, you know, it wasn't, I didn't create these safeguards or develop these habits that, that eliminated the addiction. It was removing myself from the environment and putting myself in a safer environment. And then as soon as I came out of that safe environment, like I just didn't have the control or the self-discipline to stay away from it. So, and that's an interesting thing that I've thought about and, and kind of, I haven't really talked with anyone about, but um, have definitely thought, you know, it's important to develop self-discipline instead of just like removing yourself from or, or you know, taking this technology away. You've got to learn. You're always going to have these this technology around you. Like there's always going to be opportunities where you're faced with the ability to go and view pornography. And so you yourself, you have to be the final filter you have to create that discipline to be the the ultimate filter against you know bad content yeah i agree i i couldn't have said it better myself just because i do think that there is a place for filters and stuff like that and what, what you were talking about kind of reminded me of um yeah just certain social media things that i still don't have on my phone but um so much of like 
that is to me just about getting distance from it and and either getting it out just initially or just kind of you know when you just don't have any self-control but to me like that um you know the true recovery and true like distance from your addiction comes from um by just being completely honest with yourself and like you said being being that final filter just because i I just think that's where true recovery comes from and true growth and um yeah I, i totally agree with that yeah. And I, I want to be clear. Like, I think that filters are great. I think that yeah. they're crucial to recovery, especially when you're at that point of no self-control. Um, and, and like you, Matt, I also don't have any social media on my phone. I still have blocks on my phone preventing me from downloading apps. Like that's just something that I've decided to have on my phone and has been really helpful and has created like a pretty, a pretty consistent pattern of recovery for me. And um, would really, I, I personally think that anyone dealing with recovery, like to get that initial space from your addiction, you need to get rid of social media. Like that was, that was the thing, that was the, the vehicle that led me straight back into addiction was social media. Yeah, no, I'm in the same boat. I, there, yeah, man, for me, it was just really some of like the targeted, um, like ads and um, not even ads, but just, just the content that came up. It just, it just got me so fast after my mission. And um, so I a hundred percent agree with what you're saying. And tell me more, I guess, about how things went from there. Yeah. So um, I was pretty open with my Bishop. I, so I came home from my mission, moved up to Utah from Arizona and started going to school pretty immediately. Like I had a three week window and was really open with my bishop, both my home bishop and my bishop up in uh, at my singles ward in Utah. And that was really helpful, but um, again, was like pretty limiting as far as support and just kind of struggled, probably relapsing like once every week or so. Um, and then after being home for six months, I started dating my now wife. And uh, she was from the get-go just so supportive of recovery. And, um, and then we got married and I had probably like two or three months of sobriety under my belt. And then uh, my wife went out of town and, and that was like the first time that I had been alone, home alone since being married really. And like, immediately went back to my addiction and again it was like kind of removed myself from the situation of being home alone and uh put putting putting myself back in that situation just created like the perfect environment for me to uh to get back into my addiction and so um i quickly told her that i had relapsed and she was really supportive crushed but really supportive and we worked through it. Um, and then after, you know, a few more relapses, that was when I finally realized if I want to, and this was without a doubt, a spiritual prompting that I received was that, you know, if I want to reach my spiritual divine potential, my full potential, I need to reach out. I need to go to 12 step meetings and I need to be more verbal with, with, marry my wife i need to be more verbal with my bishop um and and doing that created a little bit more support and allowed me to 
get more sobriety and more recovery under my belt. Yeah. I guess it's always hard for me to, to tell my wife, you know, um, that I've had a relapse or, or something like that. But I, I like how you said, like, my wife was supportive, but crushed, you know, I think that's, that's just like how it is. And that's how it can be. Um, and that's also why, like, I always like, you know, think that people need to find sponsors is just because, you know, your spouse, they are going to be crushed, uh, you know, when you tell them and they are well within their rights, you know, to be sad. But, um, you know, if you can have like some sort of a support person, I always think that's like so, so critical in that stage. Yeah, no, it definitely is. And I didn't realize that initially. And so um, it, my path was, was, was interesting to see this like incremental development of humility. Like I humbled myself and talked to my dad, humbled myself, talked to my bishop, got home from my mission and, and continued that humility, then got married and went to then uh, developed more humility and went to that 12 step program and thought like, oh, my dad is a great support person. But um, then I remember sitting in, in a 12 step meeting and one of the full-time missionaries said that they had never seen anyone get through this addiction without a support person. And it was a support person that had been through the recovery process. And so this light switched on, like, man, I really need to humble myself and ask for help from a support person. And so I did that. And I started talking to you, Matt. That was when, when I asked you to be my support person. And I think maybe even you reached out to me and, and that was incredibly helpful. And then um, I think it was like maybe two weeks later, I was sitting in there and, and one of the the facilitators was talking about his recovery story and how he had met with this, uh, this professional counselor and another light bulb came on and I developed this, this additional humility, like, man, I need to go to a counselor now. And so it was just over a period of time, like realizing, you know, I'm not going to get over this by myself. I need more help. I need more help. I need more help. You know, I, I don't think you can ever have too much support. And that said, yeah. I don't think you need to like write on your forehead. I'm addicted to pornography but, you know, going out and being vulnerable to people that can offer valuable support to you is, is crucial to recovery. Yeah. And, and like you, my story was, was really gradual as well. It was maybe even more gradual. I don't know, just, you know, developing that humility and, and, and able to take, you know, the next steps and like in a, you know, more narrow lens, just within my marriage, it was reaching out to my bishop, well, reaching out to my wife more like my wife reaching out to me. So my wife reaching out to me and me kind of being honest with her and then, you know, Bishop. And then I ordered like a 12 step manual, but I didn't want to go to the, the meetings. And then finally, like I went to the meetings and then I went to the meetings for like a full year before I got a sponsor. And in, in that range, I also went to therapy um, with my wife, but um, you know, it, it just, it's, it's so crazy. And like, I think that's one of the things though, that really drove my wife crazy about my recovery is that she could see where I needed to go. She could see Bishop 12 step book, um, you know, meetings, then like get a sponsor, go to therapy, you know, all these things. And she could see that. And she was like, let's do it right now. And, um, I, I wish that I had, but it, it was one of those things that just took so long. And, and I know if my wife had it her way that it, it would have been just immediately, but you know, I, everyone has their own pace and I don't know, I kind of feel sometimes like, you know, maybe I should have sped up, but at the same time I'm where I am now because of that. But 
anyways, I, I'm totally with you on that, that gradual process. Yeah. And I think that you really do have to kind of be on your own timeline. And what I mean by that is, you know, like you talked about, Matt, your wife can't decide to do things for you. And that was the same for me. Like my, my wife definitely was definitely saw the clear path that I needed to go on. And it was just a matter of me developing the humility to actually go down that path. Yeah, totally. And I think in, in a broader sense, I've seen this when I've, um, and there's so many thoughts that come to my mind right now, but it's just like people have to be ready um, kind of to receive help. And sometimes that means hitting rock bottom. And sometimes it just means like they just need to be ready. And like, I, I feel like I, I got to this place where I had been kind of sober for a while, um, kind of taking on like people uh, like as like I was sponsoring other people, kind of facilitating just stuff like that. And I got like just stoked and like I'd go to elders quorum and I'd be like, Hey everyone, like I'm Matt and I'm struggling with addiction and you should come and like, let's hang out. Let's, I'm going to like help you. I'm going to, I'm going to fix you almost. And what just kept happening is like, I kept, people kept reaching out to me, which was so awesome. But it was like, I was, I started dragging people and like, I was like, this person struggles. Like I'm going to get them a sponsor and a mentor in the book and go to the meeting. And I started just like, people were really dragging their feet. And I was like, well, why would they do this? Like, I'm, I'm going to help you. Like, if you listen to me, I'll get you recovered. And there's so much wrong with everything that I just said, but I mean, just is so much to do with like the person being ready and the person being at that stage to receive that help. And it, it's, it's hard and frustrating um, as a support person, but it is, it's what's needed, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't say it better myself that like, you can't, there's, there's no one that can drag you to recovery. You know, someone might be able to drag you to sobriety, but, um, and there's a, there's a clear difference between, you know, being sober and, and being recovered or working on recovery versus working on sobriety. Anyway, there's, there are common threads there, but there's a clear difference between those two. And I think that, um, you have to reach, I, I really do think that you've got to reach rock bottom um, at some point in order to really um, decide that you want to to give everything to recovery and to reach that level of, of excitement about recovery that you were at, Matt. So I think that's a really valuable lesson to learn. And ideally, you know, we, we wouldn't have to hit rock bottom. We could just say, wow, this addiction's terrible. We know it's terrible. I haven't lost everything yet. Let's stop now before I do, you know, but that's a lot of times we've got to go all the way to rock bottom and we've got to feel the true, the true pain and sorrow that comes from this addiction in order to be truly motivated to overcome and, and do everything we can to get out of this addiction. Yeah. Well, and I think I agree completely. And, and just to expand on like what you're saying, um, you know, I think, I think that everyone has to hit a rock bottom and I think some of us have to hit it more than once. Um, and maybe it's not the, the absolute bottom every time, but just really, you know, motivation comes a lot through like intense pain throughout the program and throughout like your recovery and stuff. But I, I do feel like, cause I mean, ultimately, and you were kind of saying this, that humility was the key for me. Ultimately it's that I'm like becoming humble enough. And I, I just always feel like either you humble yourself or that God is going to humble you by having you hit those rock bottoms. Right. And so ultimately it was humility that had me ask for a sponsor. But if, if I had just, 
you know, prayed for and because I, I always knew I needed to get a sponsor, but if, if I had maybe been praying for months and months about like, make me humble enough to have a sponsor, like make me humble enough to reach out, like all this stuff. And then like, and just really getting out of my comfort zone. I, I feel like I could have, you know, recovered earlier, but I don't know. It's, it's just, you know, some things are in their time, but it is ultimately humility and like letting go of pride. I think that get, gets us there. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there is the humility probably more so than any other Christ-like attribute is, is crucial to recovery, you know, because you've got to be willing to admit that you're wrong. You've got to be willing to ask for help. You've got to be willing to admit that you yourself don't have the strength to overcome this addiction. Like it's literally impossible for you to do this by yourself. Um, and I, I think that that's true in, in all cases. Um, I haven't seen yet a case where someone's been able to just like stop viewing pornography and, and be fine. Um, so I think that humility, like I said, is just absolutely crucial. And I think a, a dedicated study in the scriptures and um, in church, church productions is, is really valuable to recovery as well. And um, that, that leads me into, a, you know, a whole nother sector of study about, about recovery. But um, anyway, I, I just think that studying about humility is a great way to develop humility and become aware of it. And on that point of um, like studying about recovery, I think um, I'm really passionate about daily scripture study and, and studying for recovery and not necessarily. So for, for a long time, I thought that I needed to study about recovery um, and then also study my scriptures, which I think is great. But I think um, I, I recently kind of altered that view in the sense that and at least this is true for me. I don't know if this is true for everybody else, but um, for me, it's true that that I need to study my scriptures every day in order to um, spiritually nourish myself and prepare for the next day or or for that that day that I'm already in in order to um, to reach recovery in that day. And uh, what I mean by that is like for for quite a long time, I read Clean Hands, Pure Heart for specifically for recovery. And for those of you that, that haven't read that book, it's an incredible book. I love it. It's really played a significant role in my recovery. But um, I thought that I had to study that every day in order to, to stay sober and, and continue on in recovery. But um, I've been reading Doctrine and Covenants every day. And that concentrated study has been really, really helpful. And it, it's you know, the Doctrine and Covenants is not written specifically about recovery. Um, and not everything that I learn in there, I'm like, oh, this applies so perfectly to recovery. But um, just being able to feel that spirit from reading the scriptures every day is is so valuable to my recovery. And I think that, that you know, the daily footwork that you put in is what ultimately leads to lasting recovery and lasting sobriety meaning that you know you've got to be able you've got to be willing to pray every day to read your scriptures every day to listen to those little spiritual promptings every day where you know you're thinking oh this song that i'm listening to maybe isn't isn't great isn't it's leading me down and and this is i i'm saying this from a personal perspective too like i i 
constantly have to redirect my my music choices to more uplifting music um and i think it's really easy to just like let your your standards slip a little bit um but anyway like i personally try to listen to church music once a day for at least a little bit so that i can have that spiritual nourishment as well just like while i'm working throughout the day but um anyway i i just think that like surrounding yourself with these daily things that you do and i've heard them coined dailies doing your dailies um, is really really important that daily footwork is really important for recovery i couldn't agree more man that's great i music's been big for me too definitely in my recovery from the earliest stages to kind of most recent and and i just yeah i echo what you said that's awesome rewinding here just like kind of a little bit um why don't you talk to us about kind of how things were when you started going to the meetings and just kind of from there and like what what your recoveries look like yeah i mean so the first step to going to that meeting was was really really difficult um i went to a meeting that was a couple's meeting so um your it was like specifically for married people so i went with my wife and she was amazing and and so supportive because i told her that i needed to go and then the day rolled around where i was like hey today's the day that i'm gonna go you know right before we went i was like i don't i don't want to go i'm really nervous and I'm, I'm scared i've never been it's just you know afraid of the unknown and and being vulnerable but um going there was probably the best decision that i've made for specifically to recovery uh, meaning that, you know, like being, being surrounded by other people that are going through the same process, you know, wherever they're at in recovery, just being surrounded by people that are vulnerable and willing to talk about their recovery is, is so helpful to your own recovery. You know, it's like completely invaluable. Can't, can't stress enough how important that was for me. And then um, from there, like just being willing to work on the steps every day was also really important and and cutting out time for me to go once a week to these recovery meetings was also really important. I think that um, it's really easy to like occasionally go to meetings and to not be super disciplined about it, but um, I had to make time every single week to go and it was definitely not convenient. It was really inconvenient to go a lot of the time, but um, if I didn't go, then then that week was inevitably going to be significantly harder than if I did go. Um, and I think that that was a blessing of, you know, showing my willingness and, and humility to work on recovery in whatever way. And um, and the Lord was was blessing me for that. And so um, I, I think that's really crucial is to make time every week and to show your willingness to do whatever it takes to recover. Yeah, that's great. I love that. I appreciate you sharing that. What else? Where'd you go from there? Yeah, and then from there, um, COVID hit. So, um, and and obviously there were like steps in between, like being there and being just enlightened throughout um, throughout meetings. And those meetings are really what helped me to develop more and more humility. I think that was the true importance for me for going to those meetings. Um, and then, um, COVID hit. So this is actually interesting. Um, so we stopped meeting as a group 
and we're just doing phone meetings. But um, I was like, oh, I don't want to do phone meetings. That's so lame. And initially I was like, COVID will last for a month or whatever, you know, and about a year later, here we are still not meeting yeah. in person, right? So, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so um, I, and it was probably, you know, a few months ago and correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, but uh, I think it was a few months ago, I reached out to you and said, hey, like, I've really got to start going to these meetings again, uh, just to get back in the habit of, of carving out that time. And it was a silly, it was silly logic in my mind. I was like, oh, I know, I don't want to do these phone meetings because they're, they're just not going to be as good as the in-person meetings. So I'm just not going to go like, it's not important. And then, you know, I realized like, this is literally the easiest way to attend a meeting <laughs> is by calling in. Like yeah. there's no excuse for me to not be calling into these meetings. Um, and, and the meeting that I was going to now I have a class that's like at the exact time it starts at the exact time that the meeting starts. So, um, that's a little bit of a bummer, but, um, I, I really love going to, to those meetings. And I think it's important regardless of how inconvenient it is. I think it's important to make time and jumping backwards a little bit. I started meeting in person. Um, and it was every Sunday that we were meeting with this, with this group and, and pretty much every Sunday I was over at my in-laws house and then would leave. And it was to the point where like, I just had to tell my in-laws like, Hey, I'm going to these addiction recovery meetings. Um, cause they kept asking me like, what, what do you, what church meetings are you going to? You know? And it's like, yeah. I was a little secretive about it, you know, just cause I, it's just uncomfortable. You don't want to tell every, the whole world that you're struggling with, with an addiction. But um, I, after doing that, like my, I love my in-laws so much. They're amazing. And I received so much support from them. And the other, the other thing that was nice about that was there was added pressure, like, oh, he's not going to his meeting tonight, you know, like, <laughs> which mm, was kind of yeah. nice. And, and they didn't do that. They weren't, you know, judging me for not going, but um, it was nice knowing for me personally that like there was this added accountability, you know, they know that I go to these, these 12 set meetings and, um, they kind of expect me to go. And so they were really, really considerate of, of that and kind of worked around my scheduling, like, Oh, let's eat dinner really quick. Jackson has to go to his, to his church meeting. So, um, anyway, really supportive and, um, going back to where I was, you know, calling into these meetings um now that 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 COVID is a year in has been it's been super helpful as well you know like i was i was really surprised at, at how helpful it was i have been really surprised at how spiritually nourishing those meetings have been regardless of how glitchy or background noisy they are so yeah um and i was gonna say matt you you uh definitely have a passion about or an anti-passion about webex i know man i've been raging about webex for for months like and uh well and then there's just always glitches and stuff and we're we're finally moving to zoom um i don't know if you did i tell you that jackson um, yeah, I had heard, I caught wind that, that we were moving to Zoom, but I, I didn't know uh, what what the timeline was on that. Yeah, I, th- I don't know the timeline. I think, oh yeah, uh, February 4th. So probably people listening to this will already be on Zoom. But um, yeah, like when I when I saw that, I was like, I was sitting in bed with my wife and I got an email from one of the elders and they were like, we will now be moving to Zoom. And I was just like, yeah, 
was <laughs> finally <laughs> so much better <laughs> yeah for sure that's awesome well it's funny though um you know just everything that you've said so far about these call-in meetings um you know obviously i would prefer in-person meetings but like you said it's like how how is it that it's so hard to go to these meetings like when they're just on the phone like i mean you don't even have to like say that you're there you could just like plug in your phone and, and walk around your house or like i don't know drive somewhere or something but it's like so hard to go and um i think for me at least part of it is just that um well one of the things is that the group that i i now facilitate i've never actually attended that group in person like i just sort of got like placed in that group and you know now i'm the facilitator and it's kind of a little more transient than like other groups that i've been to where there are maybe 20 percent of the people that are there every week and then the rest of them are kind of like new or kind of like you know isolating around but like i think the hardest thing for me is that i'm a huge multitasker and so like when and i'm like bad at a lot of multitasking things but like I'll be on a phone call with someone and like, you know, doing work or like putting together spreadsheets or like, I don't know, like managing my finances or something. And, um, and so it's hard for me not to go to those meetings and just have like my workout and just like be working while I'm doing that and be like, great, I'll get like another hour of work done and like doing that. And I've just noticed that like, the more I focus when I'm at the meeting, it's so hard for me, but the more I focus, like I just get so much more out of it. And it makes me like want to go back, makes me feel the spirit more stuff like that. And so it is, it's hard. It's different, but, uh, I, I do recommend to everyone to like go to those meetings and, and just try to put in as much as you can. Yeah, I totally agree. And it, it is so easy to, you know, put my AirPods in and listen to this, this call and not say anything. And then just like start doing dishes or start mm-hmm. doing homework, you know, and get distracted. So what I've found is if I can sit down with my addiction recovery manual in front of me, I can be really focused on, on, on just that meeting and just what's happening there. Um, and it's also really helpful when I participate instead of saying, you know, Oh, I'm just going to listen today. I'm not going to, not going to participate. So, um, I think, I think that, like you said, Matt, having really, really dedicated time and, uh, focus time on that is super beneficial more so than much more so than just listening. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And, and hats off to you for kind of going um, and doing that. I know, I know a lot of people are, are just still not doing that and it's well within their rights to like not go to meetings, but um, yeah, I mean, we could be, we could be doing this for a while. Like, I mean, I, I like to think that like, you know, by the summer or like the fall that we'll maybe be in person or like, I don't know, we could socially distance like in the Relief Society room or like even like in the cultural hall, you know, and like do meetings. So I hope that we'll do it soon, but it might be a while. And I, if, if there's anything that I've kind of realized recently in doing these interviews, it's that um, people that I've known that have been kind of like sober for a really long time, some of them have slipped up um, just with this isolation and with this hard time of um just being alone and like you know even people that are married just they just don't have the the support that they used to and so i i just i think it's so important to to jump on and be a part of these calls yeah i totally agree i think that isolation just like allows addiction to fester you know if if we're not if we're not surrounding ourselves with support then it's gonna get really hard totally Totally. Um, so yeah, is there anything else that you want to share kind of from your recovery 
Um, I think I think that actually brings me pretty up to date um, as far as recovery. I I actually do have one more thing I want to share now that I think about it. Um, I so I recently have have kind of connected with um, one of my friends from uh, that I met from an addiction recovery group, and this was an interesting idea that that we had thought about. But anyway, um, we are are pretty similar in our recovery pattern right now like we're in we're both in school we both have a baby we're both married um and we both are like following like i said similar patterns in recovery and so uh, but anyway we we connect every most every day in regards to how we did how each other did uh, with recovery and that has been super helpful that has been um surprisingly helpful you know and I always thought of a support person as someone that's you know 200 days 300 days 400 days into recovery but um my this this other friend that I'm connecting with you know we're we're battling it out together and and supporting each other and it's been it's been really great so um that's another thing that I just wanted to mention and and that pretty much concludes what I wanted to say with regards to my current recovery, but um, just that like, don't be afraid to reach out and, and talk with someone that is also battling it out. Like you guys can support each other and you guys can be, be helpful and, and supportive to each other. So. Yeah, man, that is so inspiring. That's so helpful. I've, I've heard so many stories and personally, um, you know, experienced some as well, just, you know, being at the same place as someone and, and receiving support from that. I think, with a support person, like the most important for me, the most important quality when I went and sought out a support person was that that person would be someone whom I thought I could, like, I, I felt like I could um, just be really honest with them and be open and, and not feel judged or anything. And I think finding someone that's in your exact same situation, there's like not a better situation where, cause it's just, to me, there is aspects of a support person that, yeah, they like know more than you or something like that. But like, most of it is just being able to tell someone something and not feel judged about it, you know, and just totally. feel support. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Well, that's cool. Um, I really appreciate you sharing your story so far and, and it's been great to kind of hear, you know, where you've come from and where you've been and, and what's worked for you and stuff. Um, I'd love to kind of dive in right now and talk a little bit about a topic that you and I talked about before this episode, um, which is, and I don't know if I'm quoting you here or kind of just like paraphrasing what you've said, but um, basically the fact that recovery happens on hard days. Um, do you want to just say anything about that before we get started? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I I would love to say something about that. So um, I'm actually really passionate about this, this idea. And it started um, when I was on my mission in Ohio. Just like I realized that it was really easy to be a missionary on on days that I wanted to do missionary work. Um, meaning that, you know, when it was a nice warm summer day, it was super easy to go out and um, just like walk around and talk to people. But when it was cold and rainy and there was no one outside and you were soaked through, that was really hard. And it was, it was in those really hard days where my testimony grew the most, where I felt like Heavenly Father blessed me the most. And I think that this, this principle is so true, probably more so with recovery than it was, you know, on my mission, just that 
um, it's, there are days that, that are easy. Um, and if you're at a point in, in your addiction where there are not days that are easy, you'll get there. You just got to keep trying. But um, once you get to that point where there are days that are easy, where, you know, you're not even thinking about recovery at all. Those are not the days where, where recovery makes, you know, leaps and bounds, but um, those days are good. Those days are really, really awesome. And, and more so than anything, they're, they're probably um, like really good motivators, but it's the hard days where you're white knuckling through the whole day. It's those days that where you have that success that recovery really starts to take shape and recovery really starts to happen. And um, so I, I think of there's, there's been a lot of times where, you know, the end of the day comes and I'm like, man, I fought addiction all day today and it was terrible. And honestly felt like I had relapsed that day just because it was so physically exhausting and so difficult. Um, but those are the days that, really have created a foundation of recovery that have really helped me to, um, to realize like, man, I feel so much better after having a really hard day and being successful than having a really hard day and just giving in. Um, and seeing, you know, the, the progress that you can make and, and what you're truly capable of with Heavenly Father's help is on those hard days is, is inspiring. So, um, that's, uh, that's my little rant about, you know, hard days are where recovery happens. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that principle. Um, I just think that we want sometimes our recovery to be easy. We, we want like a lot of times like a silver bullet. We want something that can just solve it for us. But the true solution is just to get through those hard days, to work through them. And, you know, eventually, hopefully you have easier days um, but that's going to come from like a lot of work, a lot of dedication and, and that hardness can come through like a lot of different things It can come from you, you know, reading your scriptures really, really well and like working hard and, you know, being diligent in that way. It can come from, um, you know, working hard to like really overcome a lot of temptations throughout the day. I think that if we can get through, you know, a few of those days, I think it, it gets easier and it, and you do grow a lot. And I, I agree with what you're saying. Totally. Yeah, no, and that's a really great way to put it, Matt. We, we want recovery to be easy, but um, obviously, you know, it's, it's not. There's, there's really hard days. And, um, you know, I, I think that if we, were to, if we were to have to do this on our own, that it would be those hard days would, would be the end of recovery every time. But the fact that we can pray for grace and receive that heavenly strength is that's what gets me through those hard days is being willing to give up that temptation and, um, and ask for that strength, ask for that added measure of help from Heavenly Father that I need in order to get through that day. Yeah, I agree. And like, I think on top of that too, I feel like for me, when I've had a really hard day, specifically in terms of just being really tempted, like that whole day, um, but maybe I've, I've been really good and I really haven't kind of, you know, relapsed or had any close calls or anything. I think, I don't know if it's specific to our addiction or if it's just generally addiction in general or something, but I, to me, I feel like I need like a reset after that. I need, 
like I can't just move on. Otherwise, like, you know, feelings and things are going to linger. And so, I mean, there are a lot of things like journaling, um, you know, talking with someone, stuff like that, that really helped me. But like, to your point, um, for me, that element of prayer and really like asking for that grace that you talked about, um, that's like one of the most powerful ways to just reset and just be like, I have been in the world today and I'm asking you like to take that from me, you know, and to reset. And then I, I really seriously think there is like a place for, for me talking with people like that just really resets me and stuff. But um, that prayer and that like grace from God, I think is just an absolute way to reset yourself after like a hard day like this. Yeah. I, and I think that's true. And, and I couldn't agree more, you know, those hard days are, emotionally and physically mentally spiritually exhausting and um i i think that prayer is is so crucial on those days and for me the a reset so i for me a reset my best reset is talking to a sponsor about it and saying like hey today was really hard tomorrow is probably going to be really hard too you know typically i've got multiple hard days in a row which seems truly truly unfair but you know it's just (laughs) something that 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 happens is that we have these hard days you know back to back to back to back sometimes and um it feels like you're never going to get through them but you know it's through prayer it's through reaching out it's through doing the dailies and and putting in the footwork that you're going to get through those days and when you get through those really hard days that's when the the serious blessings and the serious recovery comes i agree and uh it's sometimes really hard to get like, kind of not, not get bogged down by those days and not let that, I just, I, I, so many times I've been to meetings where there's people there that they're like, yeah, it's, it's it's day zero or day two. And I just, and I love the vulnerability when they say this, but they kind of say something along the lines of like, I'm not sure if I can keep, keep doing this, you know? And I just feel for them. um, And everyone's situation is so different, but you know, if you can allow yourself not to get slog, like slogged down or bogged down or whatever by those, um, you know, moments, that's, that's when you can grow and really get through them. Yeah, definitely. I, I totally agree that, you know, there's, there's an element of darkness that surrounds you when, when you have a relapse and going to a meeting and saying, you know, today's day one or zero or two, whatever it is, you know, that's, that's, that's really hard to do, but um, I think coming out of those those times and saying, you know, I'm I'm ready to try again. I'm willing to to put in a lot of effort here. That's where the growth happens. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's so great. Well, I think that's a that's really solid, and I appreciate you sharing your thoughts about that. Um, I just have one more question, kind of before we we wrap this up today. But um, I'd like to hear your thoughts on what what advice would you give to someone who's really early in their recovery, who's just started and, um, you know, is, I don't know, just kind of early stages of recovery. What advice do you have for them? Yeah. Um, I, I think that the advice that I would give is, is have intentional practice. And, um, that is stemming from a book that I, an audio book that I just listened to titled grit, uh, by Angela Duckworth, which I think is a great book. Um, and I, I, I think that you know, having this intentional practice, meaning focused spiritual studies with it, keeping in mind, like this is for recovery, intentionally practicing recovery is really important. You know, whether that is um, practicing praying 
in, in the moment of temptation or whether it's practicing studying your scriptures every single day with recovery in mind or working the steps every single day, you know, whatever, whatever you do to intentionally practice every day, I think that that is so crucial and that's what's going to build a solid foundation for recovery. You know, obviously that paired with, paired with uh, repentance through um, the atonement of Jesus Christ and relying wholly upon your savior, you know, those, those two things that practice and, and relying upon Jesus Christ are, are way, way valuable. You know, you can't put a price on that. It's going to be so helpful. Um, so that's probably, that's probably what I would say to someone, you know, fighting addiction hard right now. That's great advice, Jackson. And I agree with what you said. And uh, I just really appreciate you coming on today. I appreciate your, your thoughts and your words and um, you know, your, your being willing to be vulnerable today. I, I know that that will impact a lot of people just with the way that you're able to share your story and, uh, and be, you know, be personable, be, be vulnerable with everyone. Yeah, well, thanks for giving me the opportunity to uh, have a hopefully a good impact on people, and and thank you for your good impact on me, Matt. You've been a beacon of light for me throughout this experience. So, just want to publicly thank you for that. Yeah, thank you, man. Um, I look forward to kind of hearing how things go with with your next baby and with your kids and stuff, and and uh, hopefully we can talk soon. Yeah, sounds great. Thanks so much, Matt. Okay, see you, Jackson. All right, bye. Thank you so much for listening. We would love for you to rate and review this podcast as well as share it with everyone you know. For information about the church's 12-step and support meetings, please visit arp.churchofjesuschrist.org. We encourage everyone to find a sponsor or support person. If you have any questions, feedback, are looking for a sponsor, or would like to be a sponsor, please contact us at sobrietypodcast at gmail.com. We are always looking for more guests. So if you or anyone you know would like to be interviewed, please contact us. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.